0: We wanted to create a competition that said, hey, what kind of care can you deliver that is evidence-based and has shown to improve patient outcomes, decrease mortality, decrease morbidity, and that's what we want to see our paramedics and our EMS professionals do, and that's what we want to reward.
1: The reason I started Medic Mindsets because I love talking about thinking and how paramedics think and what what's going on in their brain.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: How do you assess that? How do you assess... How someone's thinking, since most of that is internal. I could tell that those medics were really feeling like they were really on a call.
0: Oh, they were stressed. They were sweating. Absolutely.
1: Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. In this episode, I talked to John Bailey. John is a firefighter paramedic in Fairfax County, Virginia. He's the lead educator of Fairfax County Fire and Rescues EMT to paramedic program. He has a Bachelor of Science in Emergency Medicine from the University of Pittsburgh and a Master's in EMS Education and Leadership from George Washington University. I reached out to John after a friend told me about an event called the EMS World Clinical Challenge. I wanted to hear more about it, and everyone pointed me to him. EMS World has a new podcast. It's simply called EMS World Podcast, and I've been helping them get started, and I've even hosted a few episodes. This is the audio from one of those. John, I want to thank you and and welcome you to the show. It's an honor to have you on because Chris Kroboth sent me your way. He said, "You're the guy. You're the man I need to talk to about the EMS World Clinical Challenge." He said, "Over the last couple of years, you've just slowly taken this on as your baby. So, what can you tell me about the EMS World Clinical Challenge?"
0: Yeah. So this is our. This is going to be our third year coming up for the Clinical Challenge, which is always at the EMS World Expo. And basically, it's a simulated um, medical scenario. Uh, we have an ALS track and a BLS track and teams will go through and they'll run the scenario just like they would any EMS call, assess their patient, decide their plan of action, deliver their treatments. We as a team will pick finalists from that group of preliminary participants, and then those teams will go to the final. And then from the final in the BLS track and the final in the ALS track, we'll pick a, a winner who will win the grand prizes.
1: And what are the prizes?
0: First prize for both the ALS and BLS is a uh, expenses paid trip to an international EMS conference. And then uh, second and third place are uh, iPads.
1: Nice. I saw that. And it seemed, seemed kind of nebulous. You were just saying an international conference. What's that about?
0: It started uh, like a couple years ago when uh, EMS Copenhagen kind of had their first EMS-based international conference. And I went there and loved it. And just to see how... The rest of the world approaches EMS and and what they're doing differently, I got a great perspective. And I think that the more that we integrate internationally as an EMS community, and the more we learn from each other, the more that we can bring back here to the U.S. So it just is a great way for our EMS professionals in the U.S. to kind of see what the rest of the world is doing. So.
1: so in preparation of this conversation, I watched one of these simulations, one of the EMS World Clinical Challenges simulations on Facebook, because last year, it looked like you guys were. Was it a live feed or a pre-recorded video that you posted?
0: Uh, it was a live feed, Facebook Live. Yeah.
1: Wow, that's that's brave of those medics. Good for them.
0: <laughs> yeah, they jumped right into it, and they just uh, they went with it.
1: Well, you know, I think medics are used to having an audience, right? Like we always there's usually someone else there besides the patient.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: As I was watching it, I was I was. Really impressed with the fidelity, like how nice the simulation looked in terms of it looked like you guys had fake grass down and you had something projected on the wall or maybe it was just a large mural or something that looked like a setting.
0: They were large, really large photos, background photos that we put up. Yeah.
1: It looked really good and live actors. Yeah. I could tell that those medics were really feeling like they were really on a call.
2: How long ago did you find her Like About 10 minutes. Ten minutes? When's the the time you heard something from it? Uh,
0: yesterday.
2: It ain't like this ever happened before?
0: Um, She tried
2: to overdose a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago? You said medications are on the sure.
0: nightstand
1: table. I
2: don't know. I think it might have been sleeping for
1: but
2: I'm not sure. I got this secured down. Have I got a non-regretant somewhere?
0: they were stressed. They were sweating. Absolutely. But that's, that's kind of what we go for is, uh, you know, is it's kind of, it's a term called suspension of disbelief, which is where you're putting people in a situation where, yeah, they know it's a simulation, but you try to modify as much of the scenario, the background, the, the simulated patients, the delivery of real medications, drawing up medications so that they really feel like they're running a real call. And that way, they kind of retain that information in that environment so that when they're in that environment in the real world, they can recall it in the same way and put it into practice.
1: In your head right now, have you designed the ones that are going to happen this year in New Orleans, or are you still working on that? How far are you down the road as as far as conceptualizing what it's going to be this year?
0: Uh, We have our main ideas, so ideas of what we want them to be, and our team members right now, we've just started coming together and brainstorming what we want our specific objectives to be, our treatment objectives and the vital signs, how the patient's going to trend and how they're going to react to different treatments. So the main idea is there and we will be tweaking them probably up until right before the You know, the day or two days before the competition, when we talk to all of our medical directors to make sure that everything's like clinically vetted and makes sense.
1: So I noticed you had medical directors. I think Salim Razayi was one of them.
0: Oh, yeah, Sal. Yeah, what a great guy.
1: What is he in charge of? What is Dr. Razayi's role? Or in the other medical directors?
0: They don't try to run the show. Their main role is to help us um, make sure that everything is clinically vetted to make sure that the patient presentation, patient vital signs, the reaction to expected treatments just make sense clinically. But then they also have a role in uh, evaluating each team and and putting their opinion in and how the teams fared and how they performed to grade to evaluate the the team members.
1: So as an educator, I was I was really curious to see how y'all were grading these, right? So if someone wanted to participate, I think it's Amazing just to go do it, right? Even if they don't have the goal of winning, just to go run a simulation like this, they may have never run a simulation that will be this so much um, effort and production quality put into it. So it's a really great opportunity, even if they're not particularly focused on like being the winner. Yeah, but I did look at how you how you decided to evaluate them. You're gonna assign a score, right? Is it going to be numerical?
0: yeah, it's a it's a numerical score,
1: yeah. on the website, it said, the five things you're looking at are clinical knowledge, teamwork and communication, situational awareness, and critical thinking. Yeah, I'm most interested in the last one because the reason I started medic mindsets because I love talking about thinking and how paramedics think and what what's going on in their brain.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: How do you assess that? How do you assess how someone's thinking since most of that is internal?
0: Um, some of it will be kind of just watching the team and how they interact to see kind of what's verbalized and what's done during the call, during the simulation, seeing how they're working through their assessment of their patient, their their vital signs, their patient presentation, and kind of building their treatment plan. So we kind of take that in. Uh, but then at the end, you know, we will ask them like, Hey, what, what differentials did you have for this patient and why, and what was your working differential and why did you come to that conclusion? To kind of really pull out their process of critical thinking and how they decided to go about uh, treating this patient. So we're really big on trying to pull that out and, and see what teams were were thinking when they were running through their scenario.
1: I'm happy to hear that you probe their thought process after the fact, because I think some medics, um, if they came in as a team, as a duo, where they're actually partners, the communication, as you know, like it might be minimal because they just don't have to verbally out loud communicate that much anymore. Yeah. But I'm the same with you. As I'm watching students go through simulations, I can almost tell what they're thinking based on the logical sequence of what they pick to do next. Yeah. I think clinicians like you and um, Dr. Razai and the other evaluators can kind of, we're almost mind reading each other, I bet.
0: Yeah. And, and that's the great thing about the team that we always bring to EMS world to be evaluators. We have some paramedics, we have emergency nurses, we have some EM docs, but besides being clinicians, they're also clinical educators. And so they kind of have a base, like, just like you said, based on kind of what they see and what they decide to do next and what their follow-up questions may be, we can kind of have a really good feeling of what thought process they're going through and how they're deciding to treat their patient. And that's and we will take that into account as well as kind of probe them at the end to kind of pull out more information.
1: I decided it might be interesting to call up Dr. Salim Rzai and ask him what he looks for when evaluating someone's critical thinking
2: critical thinking in my mind at least is an objective analysis and evaluation of a situation or an issue or a problem whatever's in front of you, and then taking that information, getting some interpretation from it, and then forming a judgment, right? And that's basically it is you're not just passively looking at a situation and just agreeing, you're actually making a judgment. And so how do you do that? Because there's a lot that goes into that. And if I could take this To a little bit more of a granular level, there's probably three things that I'm looking at to make sure somebody is doing critical thinking. So the first is exactly what we said. It's you watch and see how people gather, assess and interpret relevant information. So, for example, I have a patient who comes in with shortness of breath and I'm watching to see how the paramedics and uh, other practitioners how they're gathering that information. What are the questions that they're asking that's helping them kind of direct decision making? Are they asking the right questions to get them to ultimately the right judgment? The second part of that is that they come to a well-reasoned conclusion or solution based on that information. So for example, in the case of shortness of breath, if I tell you this patient has a history of CHF, and I see that the paramedic is going down the right pathway of applying CPAP to the patient or giving them nitroglycerin um, or maybe even thinking about furosemide for downstream effects. Well, that kind of tells me that they've reasoned through the problem fairly well and are figuring out the solutions to treat that. And then the final thing, and I think probably the most important thing is is that we have to look at those Kind of conclusions, judgments, solutions, and we have to compare them to the relevant criteria and standards that exist for whatever the disease process is. So, in other words, what does best evidence say we should be doing for best practice? And so, in somebody who's coming in with CHF, we know that there's good evidence to support the use of CPAP and nitroglycerin in that situation. Now, there's one thing I didn't mention here, and that's that. We all have to think on our toes when we're working clinically because nobody follows textbooks. And so you're also looking to see that people are kind of thinking outside of the box. They're using alternate systems of thought. As an example, if I have a patient who has cardiac arrest on the couch, are they doing CPR on that couch or are they going to that outside the box of we got to move this patient where they have a hard surface underneath them so that we're providing appropriate quality CPR? And so those are kind of the things that I'm looking at as I'm assessing these people as they're going through simulation. I hope that's not too granular for the listeners, but hope that kind of explains a little bit better what I'm looking for.
1: I'm kind of taking a left turn here, but I was just thinking about the video and um that i simulate reality was just beeping and you've got a little bit of ambient stress is is that on purpose with the sounds
0: it is yeah all that's on purpose uh, we try to you know introduce the same sort of things that would be the stressors that would be involved or that would be present in a real medical situation we really love simulation education for that reason because if you learn and you practice in that stress induced environment You'll be able to perform and to recall that knowledge and, and that critical thinking and, and perform that critical thinking in the same sort of stressful environment. And that's really what we, you know, OK, the prizes and the competition, that that's fun and that's cool. But our goal as clinical educators is really for every team to leave as better clinicians than when they walked into that lane. Right. And that's what our overall goal is.
1: That's nice. That makes sense to me. And it, you're keeping your eye on the ball, yep. really, of like, what are we actually doing here? Absolutely. What would you say to the person? This person might be me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. What would you say to a person <laughs> who would love to do this, would love to challenge themselves in this way, but quite frankly, like, they just feel a little intimidated because it's on the Expo exhibit hall. It's a big team of people, strangers watching you.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: how can you alleviate some of that, or can you?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I would say the first thing we do is that all of our all of our simulations, all our scenarios are kind of done like in a private lane. So you're going to have the evaluators watching you, but you're not. It's not like you're being watched by everybody on the expo floor. So you do kind of have that privacy. So hopefully that'll make people feel a little bit better. The other thing I'll say is, you know, you just got to put yourself out there. Every opportunity is a learning event, even if you you show up and you you don't perform as well as you thought you should have or you, you might have wanted to, you know, nobody's going to berate you. We're, we're all educators. We all just want people to learn from the event and come out with more knowledge and more confidence than what they entered with. That is really what we're looking for. Life is about making mistakes and learning from those mistakes. And it's no different in the medical field. It can be intimidating, but you know, you're going to leave there and whether you performed amazingly or you you were a little rough around the edges, it's going to be a great experience and you're going to, you're going to be hopefully able to take that information and and use it in the real world.
1: I love it. You're basically talking about growth mindset and it seems like every time I talk to Salim Razai, he says that, <laughs> that to me, he's always, he's always pushing himself. He's, he's a role model. Like he's always just pushing just a little bit on the edge of his comfort zone. And that's what it sounds like you're describing. And that's where all the good stuff happens. That's the growth. If you can get comfortable enough to just to go for it.
0: Yeah, that is, I, I love it. And I, I try to, to live that as well. And that's what I like to see in, in my students in my, in my normal job uh, as a paramedic instructor. And that's what we're really trying to do here with the, the EMS World Clinical Challenge.
1: Is this clinical challenge different than other clinical challenges in any way or if if someone's seen or participated even in another one somewhere do you know if it's unique in any way well
0: i would say first off the like challenges and competitions like this are are becoming more common which i am i love and i i'm really excited about But in the past, a lot of these competitions were kind of like an obstacle course, like what could you do the fastest? How could you move your patient the fastest through all these obstacles? Mm. And that's that's not how medicine works. So, you know, when EMS World and uh, all of our other partners and people who were brainstorming came up with this, we were like, hey, we want our clinicians to provide care that's going to improve the outcome of our patients in the real world. That's what we should really be focusing on. It shouldn't be about how fast you can move somebody, because we all know that sometimes moving the patient immediately is actually worse for the patient. We wanted to create a competition that said, hey, what kind of care can you deliver that, that has been clinically shown, is evidence-based, and has shown to improve patient outcomes, decrease mortality, decrease morbidity. And that's what we want to see our paramedics and our EMS professionals do. And that's what we want to reward. And so that's what I think is really different about the clinical challenge versus competitions, EMS competitions from the past.
1: Yeah. So it's it's less push-ups and more cognitive.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Still sweating, though. Believe me, still sweating. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet.
1: <laughs> so let me ask you this. I think I know the answer. I think the answer is no. But if I wanted to swing by and, and watch, I can't watch, can I? Because it's you're protecting kind of the confidentiality and privacy of these participants.
0: Most people, unless you're uh, an evaluator, yeah, you wouldn't just be able to just walk off the expo floor and watch because we're kind of keeping them, you know, kind of keep it private so they can perform the best that they can, you know, without feeling too self-conscious.
1: Sure. Can you imagine if there's like a huge stage and everybody was just watching?
0: Oh, I know, right?
1: But there is a chance they'll be on Facebook Live. When does that happen?
0: So usually every finals day, which is the third day of the competition, EMS World and their social media team will come by and they'll do a Facebook Live just to kind of show the world what it's like and hopefully get people excited about it. So that's uh, that's on the finals day.
1: Okay, so on the finals. So you know, if you've made it to the finals, there's a chance you're going to be on the big screen.
0: That's right. You're going to be online for everyone to see, for the world
1: to see. How would somebody sign up?
0: Signing up, you just go to EMS World. And when you either sign up for the EMS World Expo convention or sign up for the Expo floor, there should be an option for you to also join the the clinical challenge there as well.
1: Are there still slots open?
0: There are, yeah. I'd say we're probably about half full now, but there's still slots open.
1: Awesome. I can't wait to meet you in person at Expo. We're going to have fun in New Orleans.
0: I have actually haven't been there in a long time, so I'm excited to go back down and explore.
1: I already got my restaurants picked out. Oh, really? I'm going to have some shrimp and grits at, I think it's called Mr. B's, and there's this amazing brunch place called, ooh, the Ruby Slipper, and they have Eggs Benedict, like 20 different ways. It's called Ruby Slipper because they have a drink. It's like a mimosa with something pink and lovely in it.
0: Yeah. That's uh Eggs Benedict is like my favorite like breakfast food. I actually just had some. Today? Yeah, yeah, today. Yeah, like I came ate my Eggs Benedict and then I came to talk to you. So like, yeah, that's my my jam.
1: Well, we should go to the Ruby Slipper and have some Eggs Benedict together. Absolutely. Well, thank you for spending some time with me. Anything else that a Medic Mindset listener or an EMS World Podcast listener should know.
0: I would say just uh, the only way to learn and get better at your craft is to put yourself out there and to, to try it and learn from it and just like anything else. So go for it.
1: Things are going great for Medic Mindset. We've been going strong for three years, and a mentor told me that at the three-year mark, I'd see the number of listens just explode. He was absolutely right. And you guys are to credit. Thanks for listening and sharing your favorite episodes with other medics. I'm having more fun podcasting than I ever have. The absolute best part of all of this is connecting with you guys. So I hope you'll keep reaching out.